Chloe Beeson, thank you so much for coming to be interviewed in your own studio. (laughs) How does it feel to be interviewed and sitting in a different seat? It feels really weird, but you know what? You look really good in that chair. I'm like, I love that chair. I'm like, yeah, it just feels strange, but I'm loving it and looking forward to having the roles reversed. So thank you so much for coming on. I am relaunching the podcast. So you are in the first handful of guests and it is genuinely a privilege to have you because we were talking before we were recording. We're very similar people, but I'm hoping this will take a detour to wherever it chooses to be. So many people will know you in different niches, markets, industries, because you are a master of all trades. I hate the phrase jack of all trades because you've mastered so many different niches. You Mm. are an author, a best-selling author, a publicist. You've created funnels. You've got businesses online and offline. You're a public Mm. speaker. You're an award winner in many different areas. If we were to put an umbrella over all of that and you're introducing yourself to someone for the first time, how do you introduce yourself? You are Chloe the... Oh, that's a really good question. How do I introduce myself? Depends who I'm talking to. And also it depends what day of the week it is. Like It kind of depends what I'm thinking. But for me, what I do is I love helping people realize what they can achieve and building their authority and belief in themselves to do that. So whether that's through writing their own book and telling their story there, whether it's speaking on stage, whether it's being in the media, getting on magazine covers, whether it's starting their own business. I just think so many of us are put in a particular lane and we have to go down that path. We have to follow that. And I did that and it all went terribly wrong, to be totally honest with you, and terribly right by the end, you know? Um, And I just, now I think there's so much potential that people don't realise they have. And if they do have it, they're not sharing it. And so that's how I would say, that's probably not a short answer, but that's how I'd say I would describe myself is helping people really get out their genius and elevate their brand so other people can see it too. I love that, but that is actually worlds apart from what you used to do. So for those Mm. reformed, I should add, (laughs) you were... I mean, you achieved massive success and I think you've done that in all different areas of your life. But for those people who don't know previously, you were a chartered accountant. Mm. How does someone from a very small island, the island of Jersey, from admittedly in your own words, a humble beginning Mm. on a very wealthy island, come to be a global, a manager, a director of a global firm by the age of 24? How, firstly, how do you do that? And secondly, How then do you take a completely different detour into a whole new world? Tell us a little bit about that. So taking a deep breath because it's way back when. So when I was a chartered accountant, so I obviously, as you said, lived on Jersey. Jersey is a finance-based island. So if you want to go to university, you have to go off island. There's no unis there or there wasn't then. My parents couldn't afford it. So I had a very difficult conversation with my mum saying, can't do university, got to get a job. And I was very fortunate to... My mum was just, I mean, we speak about it off camera. My mum's a scouser. So it was very much like, you know, get your grafting boots on, get going, get your job, work your way up. And so I've just had that driven into me from a very young age. And so I got my first job at 18 in PricewaterhouseCoopers, which yep. is a, one of the biggest uh, chartered accountant companies. And we were put in with a bit of a challenge. So the island, because they didn't have a university, they decided to let financial accounting companies get some sort of bursary benefit if they could recruit school leavers to keep them in the island. So I was, there was 24 of us started on the same day. Three of us were school leavers and 21 were graduates. Wow. And we all start with the same job, same hours, same responsibility. However, a hell of a lot younger. And a lot of us had no experience, especially the three of us that were 18, fresh faced. And so how did I get to being a chartered accountant and a global director was I just pushed because I was for the first couple of months, really felt like I was just like sink, sinking, couldn't really do anything, felt like I was failing at everything. And 
I, bearing in mind, I was the only one of my friends that didn't go to university. And I just thought like, all my friends are having a great time at uni. They're doing great. I can't afford uni, got a job, and I'm now failing at that. And this just thing came over me where I was like, no, no, I'm not ready yet. This is going to, I'm going to make this work. And so I just pushed, I was working 12 hour days. I was studying and working and I just almost got hooked on that, like achievement, hit the next milestone. Again, in the finance world, there's very clear career pathways. So it was like, oh, next promotion, next promotion. Oh, I'm liking this. And then very quickly, I was a manager at the age of 21 when a lot of my friends left uni, couldn't get jobs, started at the same company. So friends who had been at uni started as juniors that I was then managing. And so it just carried on from there. And being very young manager, loads of people saying, oh, are you sure you're ready for this? Are you sure you can do this? It was just fueled the fire. It was just like pouring fuel on it. And to the point where I got to 24, I was working for a different company at the time. And I asked them, I said, like, what needs to happen for me to get this promotion to director? And they said, oh, it's just a matter of time. Well, what do you mean by time? Is it, I need to prove myself for a longer period? Have I not done enough? Or, and they very directly said, it's your age. And that was just infuriating because I was doing the job. I had the potential, I won't say the company, but the person who was doing the job was rubbish. I was like, I'm basically doing their job without the title, whatever, for them. Exactly. And so I jumped ship. I got, I was headhunter, basically got a different job and went straight, straight in at director. And I remember being sat on my desk, brand new job and my business cards getting printed. Cause back in those days in the corporate world, you got <laughs> business cards and it said, Chloe Beeson director. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, I've done it. And so that was how I got into the industry of the accounting world. But how I then, and how I did it so fast, but how I actually then came out of it was completely by accident. On my personal life, I'd had uh, quite a severe breakup with an ex-partner who was unfaithful behind my back. And it just, my whole world crumbled. Like we'd been together for ages. We talked a little bit off camera about like thinking you have to do things at a certain age. And we were just on track to this perfect relationship, perfect life. And everybody said to us in our friendship group, you're the perfect couple. You're the Ross and Rachel of our friendship group, right? (laughs) Everyone was saying it. So when I found out he'd been unfaithful quite bad behind my back for months, my whole world came crumbling down. So I probably within six months of that, it was about six months, I'd been really depressed, but I had no idea. And I was just pushing into work because it's all I knew. I was like, okay, got this new job. Boyfriend's an idiot. Broke up with him. Let's just keep pushing. I don't want anyone to think I'm broken. And I kept thinking people were looking at me with that look in their eye of like, oh, are you okay, Chloe? And it again, fuel on the fire. And so what happened was I then found out I was clinically depressed because I was so unwell. My mom took me to the doctor. Now I know she knew it, but I didn't realize because I was so stubborn. If anyone told me I wasn't well enough, I was like, I'm fine. Right. You know, totally in denial, <laughs> totally dysfunctional. Like I think back and I was told I was clinically depressed. And that was, that was the first thing that happened, which changed my whole journey because I don't think you can come back and be the same person after something like that. And very quickly, I realized my world that I'd built wasn't actually what I ever wanted. And I was just doing it to prove a point, prove a point, prove a point. And then when I was depressed, I just felt like I honestly felt like I looked in the mirror and I didn't know the same person was looking back at me. Wow. There is so much to unpack in all of that. There's a few things that I'm going to pick out Mm -hmm. because you've been very career driven. You're now very business driven. You're really successful in what you do. The first question I suppose is where does that drive come from? Because I know you Mm -hmm. saying other people kind of doubting you or someone telling you you can't has been fuel on it, but where do you think that need to succeed comes from? 
I would say it's from my childhood. Being an only child, I felt like I always had something to, I wouldn't say to prove, but I wanted to make my parents proud. And they divorced when I was quite young and it never really was the same since. And with my parents, it was very much like, how much are you working? How much have you achieved? They just want what was best for me. And so it was, I was actually just trained from such a young age. You know, if you don't do this chore, you're not going to get that 20 pence. Yeah. And it was like, if you do that chore, you'll get an extra pound, you know? So everything came to work result, work result. And that's where it just, that was where that need succeed came from. Because every time I hit that, it was like, okay, this is the next level. And that's just how it went my whole childhood. And it sounds like, because this is something quite often we can see in ourselves, things that we see in other people, that there's no celebration of the success along the way because it was just moving mm-hmm. the flagpole in the sand to the next goal or the next vision. Yeah. And you were always in control of all of that. But there's something mm-hmm. that I want to touch upon whereby you said having been given the opportunity, which at the time probably wasn't seen as an opportunity. You know, you can't go to university based on the monetary financial aspect of it, Mm -hmm. but it meant that you kind of supercharged your own results by jumping straight in at 18. How did you then deal with and did it change the dynamic of your friendships when you've then got friends you went to school with who've gone off and done the expected thing of going to university? Mm. They then couldn't get a job. They come into your line of employment where you've already excelled and you're already a manager. Did that change your dynamic of friendships? Mm. And if so, how did you handle it? It did a little bit. So I'm always the supporter in our friendship group. So we go on a night out back then and there'd be some weirdo being around us and everyone would be like, Chloe, will you get rid of him? Like I was always <laughs> the friend that was like, I'll be the mother of the group. So I would say it just emphasised that because suddenly I was the supporter that had the money. So I was the stable environment. Mm. So it was a bit like when my friends needed me, I was there. I was always a phone call away. But then also I got to live the uni lifestyle through them because I could afford to fly over to all the different universities they were at. My friends were dotted all around the UK and it wouldn't be one month where I wouldn't have one weekend away with them somewhere. And then I would go and it would be like pound shots at university or whatever. And I'm going, I've got loads of these. Let's go for it. You know, not healthy at all. I don't condone it. I mean, I don't, I don't encourage it at all, but it just, that helped. I'd say, I'd say it's already emphasized what I already had. Where it was different though, was when my friends then came into the workplace because there was a difference. And I have a couple of friends that were just sort of almost felt like they should have got a head start because they'd been at uni and some degrees just don't line up with certain jobs. And sometimes you do have to prove like education isn't everything. You have to have the work experience. So there was a lot of that where my friends were a bit almost frustrated that they hadn't had a head start. And they'd be criticizing people. I can't believe my manager's not got a degree. And I'm sat there going, no, your audience love like... (laughs) neither do I, you know? Um, So I I would say that was probably where it was different is when they came back. But when I was there, they just loved having someone that wasn't skint because when I was there, it was like, I'll get the rounds more than us all being skint and living off super noodles or whatever. (laughs) Maybe that's one of the reasons we've clicked is because everything, I was the mum of the group when people were being drunk and sick and it was like, that's my role. Mm. But that's also then progressed within to your home life and your work life and Mm. all of those different areas. So it's kind of made you the person that you are. But now I want to touch upon, because obviously the worlds are completely different and you talk about having, you know, created such a successful career path, but the toll that it was taken that you were unaware of and it took Mm. for mum to realise that actually you were, and let's be honest, there's massive different degrees when it comes to mental health, Mm -hmm. but to be diagnosed with severe clinical depression you've no longer got control over that, whereas everything else you've had control over. Talk us through the Chloe first being diagnosed to the Chloe who then sets up a business and how you choose what business to go into Mm. when finances were your 
skill set had yeah. been, you know, recognised. I mean, it is totally different, completely different. So how did I handle it? So first of all, when I was clinically depressed, the person that got depressed was totally in denial. And I'll be honest, I was probably quite rude to the doctor when she first said that. Mm. She's a family doctor, again, Ireland. So my mum had had depression as she was a kid. So I genuinely believed that it was just the easy card to play. So when she was like, the doctor was like, here's some antidepressants. I was like, I don't need those. I just feel, I genuinely just felt like I had a stomach bug. Every morning I felt sick. Every afternoon I felt fine. After I realized I wasn't pregnant, I was like something, I'm just ill. That was all it was. And so I was really in denial. And about three days in, I completely collapsed. The doctor called, she said, I'm going to call you. It was a Wednesday. And she said, I'll call you on the Friday, but you need to accept this is what's happening. I was so rude to my mom when I left that. I was like, the doctor doesn't got a clue what she's talking <laughs> about. Doctor's amazing, by the way. I actually give her credit in my book because she changed my life. Um, but I was, I was, a, I wasn't say I was a brat, but I was just so stubborn because I had been told my whole life I couldn't do things. And I was like, this is another thing. I've got proof I'm wrong. Wow. Was I wrong? And genuinely the floor crumbled beneath me when it hit me. Cause it was like a ton of bricks hit me. And suddenly I remember the doctor calling me on that Friday and I was just distraught. I didn't know who I was. And I, the worst thing was I doubted everything I ever thought because when you're so adamant, you believe something. And then suddenly you're told a reason to believe you're wrong. I then became really anxious as well. I was like paranoid almost. What else do I not know about my brain? How could I be so wrong? And that's when I had six months off, actually. She diagnosed me very quickly for quite a few months. And then she just kept rolling it and rolling it. And for the first two, three months, I couldn't get out of bed. For me, it was like the fact if I could get to the couch, I lived in a one bedroom flat, which is quite small on my own. And if I could get from the bed to the couch, it was a win. And I remember having to go downstairs. I was in a block of flats and there was a tiny little sort of corner shop in the flat. So I didn't have to go outside. And I remember crying when I got back into my flat because I had to get some milk because my mum used to bring over around things around because I was so not able. And I can't remember what it was. I ran out of milk. I was dying for a cup of tea. And I went downstairs and I grabbed the milk, bought it, came upstairs and I cried with like relief mm. that I'd got back in my front door. And people, I think people who haven't experienced it must be thinking, God, this is crazy. But it's almost like this, this feeling of just being so broken. What if someone sees? And so I then got advice from the doctor to start going to the gym. It was all exercise really that helped me through it because I couldn't leave the house and it was getting worse yeah. because when I actually happened, when I first diagnosed, I was doing everything fine. I was so functional. I was high functioning, but broken. So then I got so much worse. And the doctor said to me, Chloe, you need to start doing something because I can see things are deteriorating. And so I said, well, I can't go to the gym because people look at me and think I'm fine. Because again, really small island, bump into my colleagues in the lunch break and they'd be looking at me going, well, what's wrong with you? Because obviously no one knows why you're off. They just see you're off. And so I was so fearful. And then in the end, the doctor said, Chloe, you need to get out of the house. You need to go to the gym. Just again, there was a gym in the block just next door. So I was like, fine. And that's where I started changing. I started going to the gym. I started listening to podcasts. My auntie's a life coach, which until that, my breakdown, I didn't even know she was a life coach. I had no idea. I just thought she was a trainer. I was like, she goes around people. She talks to people. Like, why would I know? Well, you don't talk that stuff over the, oh. you know, the Christmas dinner table. <laughs> um, and she came around and she said, Chloe, I need to chat to you. I was like, okay. Again, just was like asking for any help. And she said, what are your values? And I genuinely, Tony, I laugh now when I say, I was like, what are they? Because I had no idea that we have a set of values that we believe to be true to us and they're important to us. And that's what govern our day to day. And I had no idea. And it was that moment of that transformation with her that set me on this whole path. Because then when I decided to start my business, I was like, I'm fixed. I say very loosely, <laughs> thought I was fixed. Little did I know there's way more. Yep. Um, I then realized that I want to help other people do this. And so I decided when I went back to get my job, I was like, 
employment isn't for me. And I didn't, un- I didn't think about the uncertainty that came with running a business, let's be honest. But I just knew that going back to those numbers, going back to that spreadsheet, going back to being a director and sitting in board meetings and then writing minutes and all this stuff that just felt like had no real impact on the world. I was like, that's not me. So with hindsight, you're actually grateful for the break from it? Absolutely, without a doubt. With it was, It is by far the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the most painful thing, but there's no way I could... There's no way I could be here today not having gone on that journey. But more importantly, when people say to me, like when they listen to podcasts I'm on or listen to my podcast or they see me on stage and they go, I cannot believe you can openly talk about depression so openly and how dark depths I did get. And they go, I'm hearing that saved my life. That that to me is like, what more can I ask for? There is so much power in what you're saying and you and I both connect over the storytelling element Mm -hmm. of it. And this is something that, until people understand storytelling and the purpose of it is that when you were in the darkest depths, you know, sometimes we don't feel like there's any light at the end of the tunnel and you were in a very privileged position that your aunt was a a life coach Mm. and the importance of having effectively a mentor or a guide at that point and someone Mm. who can see light at the end of the tunnel that now you're kind of on this mission to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. So you went from there to where you are now, because let's be honest, there's massive leaps and bounds in the in the first instance. So you'd had help and support from your aunt. You'd realise that you've got this kind of value inside of you to mm-hmm. give to other people. What was the first business you set up and what was the biggest challenge that you had going from A to mm-hmm. B? It was life coaching business. So I was 25 and just got my business cards printed. I said I was going to be a life coach and actually... I laugh now because I was 25 and I hadn't had a massive load of life experience, but I knew I could help people. And what actually happened was I ended up not really life coaching at all. Everyone that my first group of clients were actually career coaching because I'd done so well in the corporate ladder. And loads of my, I'd say about my first two paying coaching clients were people I used to work with in the company because I used to mentor them in the workplace and now I'm gone. And they were like, Chloe, please, will you mentor me? I'll pay you yeah, go for it. So I think within like my first month of starting a business, I was making money. I was like, this is amazing. Why have I taken so long? (laughs) Little did I know there was more to come on that journey. Um, And so that was, I'd say my first business. And that's where I started. The biggest challenge was though, that I got really bored of it because I'm not saying those people weren't fulfilling, but I felt like helping them get another job or helping them get a promotion. Again, I was like, I'm not really making an impact I'm helping them get more money. Yeah. But what else? And I found myself asking them questions like, well, what, what else could this capacity get you? What else potential? And obviously I was then making way more than I'd made in the corporate world anyway. So I'm like, I feel like a bit of a fraud Mm. teaching you to get another job when I've not gone and got another job. I've started my own business. So that then changed the direction of the niche of people that you worked within. So you've set up multiple businesses Mm. thereafter. What is your favorite skill set? Because obviously you've got a lot of skill sets. You're an author, you help, you're a publisher, you help other people to get their book out of them. And all of that comes under the kind of guise of communication and public speaking, mm. but there's other niches to it. You've obviously recently set up your own podcast. What is the skill set that you think is the the one that's changed mm. the trajectory the most? You touched on it there. I Definitely communication. I My biggest passion is communicating. I love whether it's on a podcast, whether I'm interviewing someone for their book or helping them get in the media, 
I love talking to people. I'm such a curious person. It's funny when I was growing up, all my family said was really nosy. God, stop being so nosy. And now I realize it's not as curiosity. I'm so curious when I speak to someone and I'm like, oh, how did you do that? What worked there? And I'm that annoying person in a classroom. You know, when we both speak at big events, we run events, I'm that student and I'm the front row and I'm raising my hand all the time. And people are going, oh, for God's sake. But <laughs> it helps everyone find out more. And so I would say for me, communication, because I've managed to build incredible teams and I'm so grateful for that. And there's no way I would have been able to do that if I couldn't communicate with the team members, if I couldn't communicate with clients, speak on stages, speak to guests, knowing what to say when you approach a guest to come on the show. Like it's just a different, different level. And it's really inspiring for many people who are, because there's going to be people who are listening to your podcast mm. because they are in despair in the darkest depths. You know, that they don't know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. So obviously you've got a, a big mission around that. Mm. One of the things that I want to touch upon is the the book side of it, mm -hmm. because obviously you are a multiple bestselling author. Mm -hmm. You help other people to get their books out there. My first question is, what's your favourite book that you've ever read? <gasps> oh, God. So, to ask a bookworm that I know is, is quite a difficult it's question. Because that's very different to the one, you know, which was the book that made the biggest impact in your life. Yeah. There are two questions, I suppose. I'll have both. I'm being greedy. <laughs> okay. So my favorite book, I'd probably say Gabby Bernstein, Universe Has Your Back. Yep. That was only because I'm not a spiritual person. Yet when I read her book, it made me see that I am a spiritual person. It's not in the same way that a lot of the woo-woo comes across. Yep. Um, so I would say that's my favorite book. And also it's written so well. So again, I write books, I publish books, I read books all the time. I'd say that book was probably the one that I found the most interesting because she just captures all of it really well. And she writes for a spiritual purpose to a person that's not spiritual. Yeah, it's not designed. Terms. Yeah, it's in layman's terms. It's not designed for like this really, and it's funny actually, I know she wouldn't mind me saying this, but she talks about it very openly how a lot of big spiritual people don't like her books because she dumbs it down, but she does it in a way to support everyone. Mm. So I'd say that book there, um, oh, I'm, do you know what? I'm not going to say any of the books I've published because that's favoritism to my <laughs> 30 best-selling When else? Dude, mm. If the book that you've written is your favourite book mm. because it's the one that either shared the story. I am such a believer that people can be too humble and that's because mm. the world believes that, you know, we have to, you know, who, what's your favourite this, what's your favourite that? And we always have to pedestalise someone else. If it's one of your own books, share it because yeah. you, I'm a massive believer that if you don't share something that you have, which is a solution to a problem, it's something that can help the world in some way, then you are selfishly doing a disservice to other mm. people. So from that perspective, if the book that you've written and you've written many, but if the book that you've written, you know, can change other people's lives, where else I'm, I'm dragging that out of you. What's the book <laughs> that you've written that, you know, will make the biggest impact on people. So I'm not the only author in it, but there are 16 of us. So it was the very first Queens in Business book. So Time to Reign. It was the first co-author book we've ever done. And so I genuinely feel like it was one of the best for the journey we went on, but also seeing the women share their stories. Cause it's not just one story, it's 16. Mm. And it was amazing how we didn't actually give. So now when we co-author books, we give context. This book's about confidence. This book's about spirituality, whatever. That one, we had no clue what we were doing. So we were just like, you're inspirational. Come on, come on in the book. And it was like this theme emerged of just like, it's time to shine. It's time to rain. Hence the book. It now, Your time is now. And it was amazing to see all the authors come together. And they, some of them had met, but not many of them. Mm -hmm. And it was the first one where us as business owners came together to, to recruit authors. And it was just, it was one of the best. And it, it smashed all the charts. I think we were like 
number one bestsellers in four different countries in a couple of hours. Like it was just unheard of. And that for me, I'd say the stories were inspiring, but also the results, because then I, that was the first ripple effect where I saw the belief in all of those authors realize that their story matters. So imagine if you hadn't have shared that now. Yeah. What if there's someone sat there now thinking, well, it's all right for you, Chloe, even though you've achieved X, Y, and Z, it's all right mm. for you because you've always known you've got a skill set of writing. You've always known you were going to be an author because let's be honest, that's what most people do. We pedestalize people and mm. we go, it's okay for you. If you don't share that, you're doing a disservice. And yeah. what if there's someone, everyone's got a book in them and most people take it to a grave. So imagine mm. if you hadn't have shared that. Yeah. I think one of the, it's very easy to, and you're really good at it, is highlighting in other people what they're great at because that's mm. your gift. That's what you want to do. Mm. But it starts at home, doesn't it? And I think yeah. you realise and that actually the, that make that the next question. How do you then, do you feel like you lost some of your identity? If you look back to the Chloe, who was the director mm. of a global company at the age of 24, Chloe, the chartered accountant, Chloe, mm. the success in everything that she does to then feeling broken in your terms of being, yeah. you know, Chloe with clinical depression, Chloe, who's no longer, did you feel like you lost your identity? 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, for a couple of reasons, because I had known myself as the relationship person that's in a happy relationship that has a perfect job that is making the most money I'd ever imagined. I was the one, all my family were like, she's the future. Like she's amazing to then lose all of that. And on top of that, I also had a few properties that I, cause I was hooked on property from a very young age. It was like buy now, but neither of my parents ever owned property. So it was like my hunger to just buy and have a hub and have a home. And I had three properties but then to start my business, I also sold two of them because it was just for many personal reasons. But if you imagine it's all happening at the same time, I've lost a couple of properties, one of which was with my ex, which is one of the reasons we sold it. My job changed. I'd now thought, everyone thought it was crazy when I started my business. So I, my identity completely changed. And I'd say it didn't come back or look positive again in my eyes for a couple of years. Because as you know, when you start a business, you might start well, but there are so many wobbles. And so many people said to me, Chloe, you're crazy starting a business with depression. I just come out of depression, like maybe a couple of weeks out of like officially no longer being depressed on the charts, if you will. Um, but I was still so broken, <laughs> so broken. And so many people said to me, you're crazy. You're not well enough. You're not thinking clearly. Like it's the medication, which I wasn't even on. But my point was they just thought I was mad. And I look back and I totally agree with them. But at the time I was like, no, I'm proving I was fighting again, just constantly fighting. And so I did lose myself because then I had those moments where I was like, maybe they were right. Maybe I should have just got a job. Maybe I should have just lived on benefits, which was also what a lot of people recommended me to do. Maybe I should have just done all of this. And so I lost my identity and started to wonder, well, what am I actually good at? Um, and then I got to a point where I'm like, will anyone ever employ me again, even if I wanted to go back? So I just went on this complete spiral downwards. And especially when you start your own business and you are the face of it, there's a whole other level of vulnerability there. Mm -hmm. And it was just constantly battling that and challenging myself going, why am I doing this? There's got to be a reason I'm going through all of this shit. Like you have punch after punch after punch. You've got to go, hold on a minute. Like what are these punches for? Yeah. And that's, I'd say where it started turning for me because I was definitely doubting myself for years into it. So that's really interesting for people who now see you in the level of success that you've got. And that's why I think it's really important to share the story and share those challenges. We've got to share the bad as well as the good. And there's too many people who tell you sharing the bad stuff, you know, vulnerability or the, you know, you can't do this or you shouldn't do that. 
because of the way people will perceive you. Mm -hmm. And I'm a firm believer that people are going to judge you anyway. And I think it's amazing that people can judge you to see the highs and the lows and know that there Mm -hmm. is always light at the end of the tunnel. One of the questions that you said your aunt asked you was around your values. What did you identify then where your values are kind of top two or three? And are they still the same now? Yeah. So respect is my number one value. It That is like top of the top of the line. And the reason why it's ahead is because I genuinely believe manners don't cost a thing. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't give a crap if you're the CEO or the PA or receptionist. You have a part to play. And actually most of the time people treat each other with respect because of their own respect for themselves. Yeah. So respect has always been at the top. Um The other one I would say, it used to be variety, which ironically is still there, but it's not as high. And it's probably because I've got it fulfilled so much. Um, And the third one is stability. So again, it's hilarious. You think, God, you were craving stability and you started your own business. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. But stability was huge for me from my childhood of like moving house a lot and being around everything. So they have definitely still up there. But I'd say the new one that's taken over quite high is communication. Just, I love to be around people that say it to me how it is. Like, you know, we joke about it, but if I've got an eyelash in the wrong place or my hair's a mess, I want to know about it. If I do not want to be that person that's got lipstick on my teeth and I've spoken on stage for the whole day and then somebody, I check the toilet later, I'm like, why did no one tell me? Oh, that I really, <laughs> I am that person. So I've been known on many a night out to when a lady is walking out and she's trailing toilet paper behind her to stop and put yeah, your foot on it too. or to tuck a tag in. And that, maybe that's, we are very similar. It's, it's quite worrying how similar we are. I love that respect is up there Mm. and would it be fair to say that the lack of respect or the loss in your opinion of respect in terms of you know the fear was always you're Chloe who's achieved x y and z you've got to this global director status which many people don't actually get to Mm. and you've done it by such a young age that the fall is so high when the heights are so high that Mm. the fear of would you say there was a fear of you know failure and do you still have Mm. that same fear Definitely was there, hundred percent. Oh, actually, would I say the fear of failure was there? I would say, to be honest, I don't think I ever had the respect at that level. So, without being like victim, I genuinely believe I was recruited to be a young female director that would be quiet in a boardroom, and I wasn't that. And my role was actually more compliance focused. So, if they brought bad money in, it would be me that would be liable personally. And we'd be in boardrooms where people would say something, and I'd raise my opinion, Chloe, that's not for this room. That's not for now. And then uh, that's when I was like, I don't think I had the respect then. So I would say moving away from that, I don't think I had a fear of failure at that point straight away because I'd already failed in my eyes. So I was like, I'm at the bottom. Like there's, there's no deeper to go, right? So I don't think I had it then. When I had it was after I'd say the first six months of starting my business because then I started to taste what it could be. And there's people start going, oh, congratulations, you've started your own business. Oh, you've done really well. Or I can see you're doing this. And my mum would get all those messages. Chloe's doing so well. As soon as I got that, that's when the fear kicked in. Oh, really? Yeah, because it was like, shit, I've now got something to lose. Like it was so much easier when there was nothing to lose and no one knew if I'd do well. To answer your second part, do I still have it? I don't think I do, you know, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I would say... I don't have the fear of failure because I genuinely don't believe anything is failure anymore. I'm a massive believer. There is, and I know people will hear it. There's no such thing as failure, but I genuinely believe whatever path I end up on is the right one. Like there's no such thing as the wrong path. Mm. So if I fail, something has not worked out for a specific reason. And I also think when you've been in the lows that I've had multiple times and the punches and the kicks, 
I've come back from everything. And I don't mean that again in a boastful way, but I've come back from it. So I, if I can deal with all of that and that adversity and that resilience to push through and that determination, then I wouldn't say bring it on, like give me a bit of a break now and then, you know, but I, I can, I can, you know, handle, you can it. handle it. Yeah. And life teaches us lessons one way or another. And mm. at least, you know, the lessons have been at such a young age to be able to know that, you know, there's two th- schools of thought, isn't that? Shit, we've still got a long way to go. How many more challenges? Yeah. But also that if you've got through that, you can get through anything. And mm. you talk about resilience. You talked about, you know, the kind of the expectation that you'd be the quiet person in the boardroom and the, the irony being your compliance officer and they wanted you to be compliant in their world. Do you think that has now led to you when you're talking about the book and you're talking about Queens in Business, which mm. has obviously been a, a passion for you from starting out in business? Do you think that has led to you wanting to give a voice to those women who don't necessarily have one? Definitely. And I am that person that will see someone who has potential and I, I want it more for them than they want it for them. Because I think for so many of us, we are told to be quiet or we're told to play small, you know, oh, don't be trying to do that. That's too much of a risk. That's too, and that's because people that love us trying to keep us safe. Yep. And I'm grateful that they love us and I'm grateful that they want to keep us safe. But I'm that person that's going, let's be a little bit dangerous together. Like, let's try this out. Let, let's see how this goes. And that's why my first ever book was literally called Determined and Dangerous, because I was like, I am dangerous on this path to try this out <laughs> no matter what. And so that's why where Queens and Business is concerned, like the amount of women that we get visibility for and they don't believe it. And I'm like, okay, give me your bio. I'll pitch you to that magazine. And when they get on the cover, they're like, I can't believe you did this. No, no, you did this, hun. I just connected you. And it's like, when I see that belief in themselves, it's, it's like a drug I can't describe. I'm like that. I want more of that. And that fuels the belief in you. And you know, this, it's such an inspiring thing, but not just inspiring. And we talked about this previously is that inspiration is one great thing, but leading Mm. it to motivate people to believe in themselves when you, you know, allow them to borrow a little bit of your belief. Mm. Who would you say in your life, the belief you borrowed has fueled you the most? Oh, whose belief have I borrowed that's fueled me the most? Oh, this is going to sound like such a cop out, but my boyfriend, Cedric Miller, because it was him that told me to start the business in the first place. And I say told me because I did not want to at all. He, I I'd just come out of my depression and he was like, why the hell are you doing this? Like, you've got such a gift. And I was on holiday in Vegas, actually, because I was literally to come out of my depression. I was like, I'm going to live <laughs> the life to the best. And I came back and he'd planned out my whole social media strategy because that's what he's good at. And and I was like, what is this business? Like, I don't even want a business. Why would I want a business? Right. And so it was him. And every time I come off stage, he's there and he's like, you smashed it. And I'm like, really? Cause I'm still quite hard on myself. Mm. And he's like, that was amazing. Like, this is what you did really well. And he's always, I mean, it's him. He's the one that's told me to start my own podcast and he's seen it more for me than I have for myself. And so it's definitely his belief in me that's fueled me the most. Yeah. That's lovely. And I can see that that pains you a little bit to say yeah, that because this is the conversation we've previously <laughs> had. Like, I hate the fact that he's right, yeah. but I think that recognition is absolutely key and it's, mm. you know, amazing. And, you know, for clarity, for those people who are watching and who are listening, the reason Chloe's hair looks so fabulous is because if beforehand Cedric did just like judge kind of <laughs> it a little bit and make sure it was all looking fine. What about those people right now? Because you have, so that, uh, this is going to take a couple of different paths. You have now created your own podcast. It is mm. called Inspired By, so there is a theme there. Who inspires you and what do you aim to inspire other people to do? Mm. Who inspires me? 
So I would say as a person, our mutual friend, Ellie Mackay, seeing what she's achieved. I didn't know Ellie before her podcast, but when I first met her and, you know, I, it was funny because I remember being on stage at one of the progressive events that we were both, uh, we both speak at and she walked in the room and everyone was like turning around to go and talk to her and this sort of stuff. Cause she just launched her podcast. It was getting quite big. Um, I think she had Ricky Hatton on it at that point. So she'd had like quite big names and I was, I just thought I need to know this woman and I never really got to chat to her. And it was only about a few years later that I then saw and heard her own podcast. I was listening to it and she's just constantly just defied all odds. But I, what I love and what we have in common, and I know you do as well. It's like, if someone tells you no, it's the fuel to make you go, okay, let me show you otherwise. Almost like in a stubborn way. Yeah, It's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and so she's inspired me a lot because I know both on camera, on the camera, she talks about it, but also off camera, she talks very per personally about it, that she's been dealt some really difficult hands and she just keeps going. And so anytime I get a punch or a kick, I'm like, either I call her, message her, or I'm just like, Ellie has been through this and she's come out the other end. So I say she's very, very inspiring. And I know that you, you're you very good friends with her, so I'm sure you would agree. So I'd say she's inspired me a lot. Who am I looking to inspire now? I would love to inspire anyone that needs it. So if someone is feeling like they need something more in their life or they've struggled with mental health or they feel like they have a mental illness and people are looking at them differently or they feel like having this label of depression or anxiety or even suicidal thoughts, they feel like that's going to damage their life in the future. I want to inspire them to show that that's not true because you are not on illness. And, and people say, like I used to say all the time, my depression, that's not me. It's not part of my identity. It's something I had. And so I want to inspire people to realize it doesn't matter what cards you've been dealt in the past, that doesn't define who you are now. It makes who you are, but it doesn't define it. And so that's who I want to inspire in terms of just getting out there and also sharing their story. Some people will get to a place where they're just happy to be them. And that's amazing. And I want to inspire that. But there'll be a fair few people there that will come out the other side and go, I need to talk about this. And mm -hmm. it's those people that I want to guide and support to then share their story. Because if I didn't share mine, they wouldn't get to that point either. Absolutely. And I love that. And, you know, when you've got something that is a gift to give to the world, I genuinely believe that you are doing people a disservice if you're not sharing mm. that. And so this is something that you're now sharing with the world. You're creating your podcast, you're getting it out there. So with that being said, who is the ideal guest that you would love for your podcast and why? Oh my God, I've got too many. I actually have, I actually have it on my vision board. Got a list. <laughs> hilarious. Love it. Um, so ideal guest. Let's put it out there. Let's put it out there to everyone. Come yeah. and be on Chloe's podcast. <laughs> Who do you want and why? Jay Shetty. I think he's an incredible human being. Um, I've listened to his podcast a lot. He's had some amazing guests, but his interview style is so unique. So absolutely love him. Um, Oprah Winfrey, obviously. Obviously, like, everyone loves Oprah. Who, who wouldn't have Oprah? <laughs> um, for the, all the obvious reasons. And Michelle Obama. Oh. So I re I actually listened to her audiobook uh, Becoming ages ago when I was in a bit of a dark space. And she's just another person where I just love the fact that both her and Oprah have just pushed through, defied the odds, again, same sort of theme, and just not gone with the labels they've been given or the cards they've been dealt and actually gone, this is what I want. And they're doing it for other people now. So I'd say... They're my top three, but I probably have about 20 on my list. <laughs> <laughs> so is there any podcast that you would love to be on as a guest? Because you are both a podcast host now. Mm. I know it's relatively new, but you know, you're sitting there as the, the guest now. And I'm very grateful mm. that you agreed to be a guest on my podcast. Whose podcast would you love to be on and what reason? I mean, I feel like I'm going to say Jay Shetty again because of his interview style. Yeah. I think his interview style and the whole point about being on purpose and what is your purpose, I think is really refreshing. Um, 
who else's podcast would I love to be on? I would love to be on Stephen Bartlett's because again, I love how you interview and ask questions. He asked the most amazing questions and I love listening to him and thinking, God, that's such a good question. So I would love to have someone that asks questions maybe I hadn't, wouldn't have thought of or haven't been asked before, which he always does. My only fear with that is I'd have to have tissues because I'm an emotional person. <laughs> so like I had to give credit to Cedric then and my eyes were welling up. Like that's not even that emotional, you know? So I would say, I'd say his podcast just to really share more behind the scenes of the business side, the actual personal side more. Yeah. Interesting. So mm. you have multiple businesses. Mm -hmm. How do you manage what can sometimes be chaos? Cause you talked about, you know, setting up a business at a time when you didn't necessarily feel you had the emotional stability to do, and it was, you know, a desire to succeed and it was other people telling you, you couldn't that fueled you. Mm. How do you, how do you do it? How do you deal with the down days if you still have them? Definitely still have them. Say that. How do I deal with it? So how do I deal with multiple businesses? Honestly, it's the people behind it. Like I am not the business. I'm the person you see, but I'm definitely not the cogs. So I have the most incredible team and I don't say they work for me. We work as a team. Like we are they are the complimentary versions of me. Like I have an emotional meltdown. They're like, Chloe, we'll get there. We got this, you know? Um, and every time I catch up with them, my favorite day of the month is when I do my one-to-ones with everyone. Cause I'm like, how are you finding it? How's it going? I interview them. Like I interview them on the podcast. Right. And they are so excited. Every time I get a guest, like they're like, oh, this is amazing. So proud to be part of it. So I'd say for me, have the only way, the only way I have multiple businesses is because I have the most amazing business partners. I've got the most amazing people that work with me. And that is literally it. How do I handle the down days is probably a similar answer. I have the most supportive people in my, in my business partner group, if you will. So my co-founders of the Queens of Business Club are like my sisters. I'm an only child and genuinely I felt like I start the Spice Girls when we started. <laughs> Which was... spice are you? <laughs> oh God, probably Posh Spice. I've got to, got to go there. Yep. Um, and I wouldn't mind David Beckham either, but that's a separate, <laughs> separate point. Um, so yeah, it's definitely got to be my co-founders. They are the reason I get through my down days, especially in business, more so because we're in the same business. So I see things through one lens and they sit through the other. We recently did a money archetypes test because uh -huh. it's four of us. And that I was so like, oh God, more of this personality shit. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I already know my values. I've done all the work, right? And it was so eye-opening because how I see money and how they, all of us see money in different ways. And it was like, no wonder we've been in business and it's gone this way or it's done this. So like when I have a moment and I have a wobble, I get like really like, and they're going, all right, Chloe, get out of your system. And then we'll get back to the meeting, you know, not at them, but at a situation. Like, I feel like I've got sisters that have got my back. When I've had some shit go wrong, I'll call them and they're like, we got you. If I've had a down day, we run um, weekly mentoring sessions and we have a really detailed rotor that the team have created is amazing. So I look on it, I'm like, shit, it's my day. If I'm like three or four o'clock in the afternoon and it happened once where I was so low with some stuff I had going on and I was like, been crying all day. I was like, I cannot do this. And I'm very raw and honest with my clients. Like mm -hmm. I would show up with no makeup on puffy eyes and be like, sorry guys, it's one of those days, but would I do them justice in that situation? So I, I said, I called the girls and I was like, team, I was like, I'm really sorry, ladies, will someone full in for me? And straight away, like, I got you. Yeah. And it's that, that I'd say that. Um, also the most amazing family. So Cedric has been with me since my darkest days. And he, when I was one, there was one point where I was at my lowest and I wasn't sure. I literally said to him, I don't know why I'm alive. Right. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. He was the one that took me to get help. And he was the one that looked at me and was like, and that must be hard for him. Let's be honest. Right. He's the one that helped me through that. And my mum, again, my mum and my dad are both amazing in their own ways. And so I'd say for me, it's about the people because 
when you're in your darkest depths, you feel alone and you're not alone. You feel alone because you feel like you're only person going through it and you feel like no one will understand. And both of those are not true because you're also going through it with the people that are affected by it. I might've been the one that had depression, but I would actually say it's harder for people that love someone with depression because they can't do anything and they don't really understand it and they can't feel it. So when you're having a bad day in business and you're like, oh, this client's hard for a refund or this person's not doing this or whatever it is, you're not on your own. You think you are, but you're not. And so I'd say it's the people around me that have helped me pick me up and believe in me more than I've believed in myself, which seems to be a, a theme in the last seven, eight years of running my own businesses. <laughs> Literally the phrase that come to mind there was that's the theme and that's yeah. what you're doing for other people. And I think that's really inspiring for other people to hear as well, because it's, you know, social media right now paints this picture of an ideal mm. life that everyone has. And, you know, the, the helpers need helpers too. Mm. So the fact that you would show up, and when I talk about showing up, I don't just mean like showing up on camera, I mean physically mm. showing up for people. That's massively inspiring to those people mm. who do have down days, but feel like they have to put, you know, a brave face onto the world. For those people, because there's undoubtedly people who will listen to your podcast because they resonate with the things that you're sharing, mm. but are maybe still in those depths. How do you identify who you should speak to? So if someone's listening right now thinking, mm. yeah, I'm there, you know, I do struggle to get out of bed or the achievement of going from bed to, you know, to the sofa or mm -hmm. yes, I really resonate with the being told just snap out of it or go to the gym or go to the shop. But to you right now, that's feeling mm. like, overwhelming how does that person ask for help because I'm, I'm very grateful that I have a, a, an awesome support network also but if those people are feeling like they don't have that support network mm. how do you ask for it where do you turn what would you say to those people yeah it's so difficult um so I think the first thing is why you're asking for help because when you're asking for help it's a question therefore you're waiting for an answer and most of the time it's not us asking for help that's the challenge it's the answer we get so when I had my depression and I was in crisis help at one point, they were so unhelpful. And the NHS was the worst, to be honest with you. I'm not saying I'm ungrateful for them. I'm help helpful in the end and I'm grateful, but it did not help me. Mm. And so I worry sometimes. And actually one of the nurses at the crisis help centre said, I'm going to send you to, she was a nurse at the NHS, said, I'm going to send you to the crisis help centre. And this was in Liverpool. And she said, I'm a bit worried because I don't think they're going to be right for you, but I have to by law send you there. And she personally paid for a taxi to get me to the hospital because she didn't think I'd go on my own. And I'll never forget her. Like she was the most amazing person. And so for me, I would say if you're struggling and you need to look for help, there are so many support things online. So there are, you know, call centers and things like that. Samaritans are amazing. Mind all of this, but just speak it out, speak to someone. But my only advice is protect your heart when you're doing that. A lot of people ask for help because they're wanting reassurance or they're wanting validation of their feelings. Speak, ask for help so that you can say it out loud because that's actually what we need. It's the almost permission to say it. Mm. When I first asked for help, not from the doctor in this situation, but the second one with this particular nurse, she was amazing, but the crisis help were terrible. And it was their answer that hurt me the most. It was how they responded and what they said. And and it was really painful. And so what I learned was when I do ask for help, I'm doing it for me, not for their answer. Yeah. So my advice and to be honest with you, the, the support we have in this country is not the best, but there is loads of stuff online. So reach out to people online, look on the call centers, you know, mind and all this stuff. I use an app called BetterHelp, which really helped me. So definitely recommend them. 
Um, but most importantly, go to your loved ones. If there's even just one person, it might be a teacher, it might be a mentor, it might be a, a partner, it might be a friend, it might be a friend of a friend that you just feel energetically, you're like, I feel like they're really supportive. Just ask for help there. Reach out to them and say, look, have you got five minutes? Don't necessarily go to people that you're closest to because they might not always understand it. And remember that when you're saying these things, they are valid to have their own reaction as well. And that was the bit that I struggled with because when my mum, when I first had my depression and I got really dark, my mum really struggled and seeing her struggle because she couldn't help me hurt me more. Yeah. And we've had this conversation and she knows it now. But so I would say, just be mindful of not to say who you're talking to, but just speak it out and just be protective of your responses because everyone will have a different response. Do you know what? I think that's so open and so raw and that's why I love to have these type of conversations mm -hmm. because so often there's surface level help or there's the ask for help or just do this or just do that. And the word just makes it seem like it's really easy, mm -hmm. but I'm very fortunate that I've, you know, I've struggled in the past with, with certain things, but I've never to the level that you have. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy as someone who is just a crack on and get on with it to say to other people, just crack on and get on with mm -hmm. it. But if you've been both in the highs and the lows, and I think that advice is really beneficial to people because quite often the natural place to go is to those who are the closest to you. And I love the honest mm -hmm. and raw answer of those people. Because I know if people closest to me said I'm really struggling and they were genuinely really struggling, that selfishly there's always that part of you going, why didn't you ask for help before? Or yeah. am I not good enough for you to speak to? You felt mm -hmm. the need to go to somebody else. So I absolutely love that. And also the fact that you're talking about from the place of being at your lowest, you're also hyper aware of the impact you're having on yeah. other people. Mm. I think that's really important to know. But one thing that is absolutely vital for people to be aware of is there is light at the end of the tunnel, even yeah. if you are in the darkest of depths, because I think it's amazing that what you're doing now is sharing with people, not only there is light at the end of the tunnel, but the how to do it. That's what I think is missing mm. in so many industries, the how to, the you know, that just get better isn't feasible to do. Just get better and here are the steps to do that. Mm. Here's the, you know, the ABC or the one, two, three. And one of the reasons that storytelling is so key. So you talk about storytelling a lot, writing of books. Do you believe that everybody should write a book? Yes. Yeah. Well, actually there's a caveat to that. Yes. If they're doing it for other people. So for me, everybody has a story, 100%. Everybody, people, so many people I work with, they're like, I don't have a story. Why would I write a book? No one's going to read my book, right? That's rubbish. We all have had ups and downs to our own varying degrees. So yes, we should all write a book, but it depends on the why. So when you're writing a book, it's actually not about us. It's about the reader. And a lot of people I mentor, they're like, my book's going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to tell my story about this. You're not telling your story in a book for you. You're telling it for the reader. So provided that you are writing that book with the I'd say sole purpose, your heart in it to go, I want to leave a legacy or I want to help these people through this or yeah, okay, I want to make money. That's allowed too, but you're making money by helping people. As long as the book is helping people, then 100%. 100%. intentions. Yeah. So you touched upon money archetypes earlier on. What was yeah. your money archetype and what did it mean? <laughs> so this is really interesting, right? I'm going to say the word and you're going to go, what? But the type, it was um, the sacred money archetypes that Denise Duffel Thomas teaches and it was celebrity. Ooh. So I was like, I don't want to say I'm a celebrity because that feels like an arrogant statement. However, basically the archetype is someone that wears bright clothing, someone that wear, likes to dress well and likes to look good, um, but they like expensive and luxury things. So my bank balance suffers a lot <laughs> as a result of this. You know, they always want to do things the best possible way, which is a 
blessing and a curse because the blessing is that I want to do it well for me. But when I'm working with my client, I want them to get the best possible quality. The curse of that means boundaries can dwindle. Um, I might say, for example, in our agency, we work with people, we get them on media coverage, we get them on different things. And some of that involves investment. So let's say we've got I don't know, a couple of grand in our budget for this particular person. Let's say we were getting you features, right? I'm like, okay, cool. We've got a couple of grand to spend on Tony's media. We're going to get her at all these events. We're going to do stuff. I'll end up spending twice the amount because I'm like, oh, this is such a great opportunity for her. <laughs> this will be amazing. Imagine she's on this. And the team are going, Chloe, you've spent the budget already. I'm like, but, but that's the challenge. And so three of my business partners have to rein me in a lot because I'll be like one of our events. Oh, this speaker's 50 grand. Let's invest in it. No, Chloe, our budget's 20 grand. So it's like, that's the, and I'm like, no, I'll just make more money. Like, we'll just make it doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting because I've actually downloaded that to do myself. So I'll let no you know way. what mine is there. After. There's one thing that I notice around a lot of the things that you say, and it shows to me that you are still, you know, true, raw, honest, and the Chloe who is no longer the finished article, you know, you're mm. not there yet because you reach these heights within your career is that each time you've said something along the lines of celebrity, not to be boastful. Is that still a challenge for you? How mm. other people perceive you do you have a do you have something inside of you that feels the need to say that because it's mm. something that I've recognized in you mm. and I'm probably holding a mirror up to myself not to be boastful not to do this mm. you wear the beautiful clothes and you always look impeccable but it's for you mm. do you still fear other people judging you yeah, I do. And I think, do you know what it is? It's, I don't want them to judge that I'm the finished article because I know there is so much more shit behind this. And I, I'm always so honest and raw. Like I've done lives where I do regular lives every day on my social media. And there's been lives where I've been crying that I before my eyes are puffy and I will still rock up and I'll be like, sorry guys, bad day. Showing up. And I will always show up and I will always show. And I'm so, I'm actually too honest with my own good. It's dangerous to myself. So many times I speak and people behind camera are going, stop talking, stop talking. <laughs> Pull that back. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I take that back, right? Um, so, so when I am on interviews like this, I've, I often do say I'm not boasting because the people who are maybe listening to this don't realize that, that is not me at yep. all. And I I love these things and I love the success I've had, but I also don't want people to think I'm so far away from them. Because there was a part when I was doing my training about, I was public speaking probably about four years ago, I started my training. And within a year, I was like international speaking, won awards and all sorts of stuff, which was amazing. And then people would, I noticed people stopped thinking they could reach that as well. They were like, oh yeah, but you're just Chloe. Step too far ahead. It was step too far ahead. And it was like, you're just Chloe. It's easy for you. And I'm like, are you joking? Like I was, I'm only, I was only a year ago and I started where you were. I didn't get a foot up. I didn't get anything else. It was just, I had to just do the graft and doors opened. And to be fair, some of them I pushed down. I was like, I'm adamant going to get there. So I would say, I do still say things like I'm not both or um, this doesn't mean I'm not being, I'm not having an ego here or, you know, I'm still me because I don't want people to get that through this because yeah. I think sometimes we do need people to realise that even if I look like I've got my shit together, I don't. <laughs> I might have a wobble tomorrow. <laughs> Who knows, right? But I think the more honest we can be and still have the humble brags, but yep. still be real and yep. raw and say, yeah, okay, great. I've hit my, I don't know, 500 grand in the bank but yeah, I but yesterday lost... I couldn't tie my own shoelaces. Exactly. Or... Yeah. I think that's what makes you so relatable. And I think anyone who is actually following your journey, I don't think anyone would mm. ever dream of thinking that you were saying X, Y, or Z to be boastful. Mm. So the kind of the 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 coach in me is going, stop fucking doing that. Cause anyone who knows <laughs> you, you, the fact that you share, if you hadn't shared your mm. story, I can see why people would pedestalize you in that way but you show up and you're raw and you're honest every single time. And mm. genuinely this conversation could continue 
forever and a day. It's been an absolute pleasure. But I am very conscious of both your time and the studio time. So I'm going to finish with one final question, which is, what is the question that no one ever asks you, but you wish they would? Or if you can't think of that, what is the one subject matter that no one ever asks you about, but you really want to talk about? Oh, God, that is such a good question. What's the question nobody ever asked me? Mm. Would I change it? Yeah, I think a lot of people ask about the past and they ask about the future, but no one ever asks you, would you do it differently? Or so I've never been asked that question. Um, do you want me to answer that question? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I think I know what it's literally the purpose of the question. <laughs> um, I, I think I would actually, I know a lot of people go, I wouldn't change it because it made me who I, I am. I love that. Right. I would actually change it because I think I could still have gotten there. The lows got so dark at times. And I think if I'd have just stopped it, let's say if we put it on a scale of one to a hundred, let's say it got to 99. If I could have just got to like 80, I probably still would have got to the same point, right? I didn't need to go Did it so really dark. need to be that painful? Yeah. Did it need to be that painful? Did I need to have, I think more so because it got so painful when my depression was at its real lowest. And this wasn't like the first time. This was, I'd say about three or four years ago. Mm where it was so painful that I was just in this analysis paralysis overanalyzing my brain so much. And I'm, it's created so much doubt in me even now. And I'd say if I could just not have gone that dark and more so because of the impact on my loved ones, mm. you know, will me speaking to Cedric saying, I'm not sure I want to be alive anymore. Will that have a future impact on our family? Who knows? You know? And I think, did I, did it need to get that dark? Mm. I don't know. No one will know. But if I could not if I could change that and maybe just gone a teeny bit less, yeah. I probably still would have ended up with the same learning. Slightly less pain. Just slightly, a little bit. I yeah. love that honest answer because far too often people do exactly give the answer that people, they believe people expect of yeah. them. The whole, you know, oh, I wouldn't change it because it's made me who I am. No, I could have suffered pain, but just slightly less. Yeah. Or, and I absolutely love that. And I think that sums up why you are such an amazing person podcast host as well as guest. So thank you so much for allowing me to interview you in your studio, but for my <laughs> podcast, it's been an absolute pleasure. No problem. Thanks, Tony. It's been so nice to be interviewed and thank you for being such an incredible host. <laughs>